Wonderful to see you today. I have a question I want to ask you. Do you ever have any doubts about God? Do you ever have any questions about God? Maybe you've wondered, well, why did God do this and he didn't do that? Or, or, or maybe things haven't quite turned out the way that you thought that they should have. Do you ever have any questions? Do you ever have any doubts? Do you feel like that God has let you down? Do you wonder about certain teachings of the Bible or questions about certain topics? If you do, you're not alone. And I want us to look today at this series, Doubters Welcome, that we kicked off last weekend. I want to build on what we talked about last Sunday by looking at Matthew chapter 11. We're looking at one of the great heroes of the New Testament. And he was a man that doubted. His name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is truly one of the great heroes of the gospel story. It's like Jesus and then probably like John the Baptist. We might call him the notorious JTB. John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he was a bad dude, man. He ate locusts and honey in the wilderness. He wore camel's hair. You know he was a man's man if he wore camel hair. And that's, that's a big deal. But it got to the end of John's life, and he, and he has some questions about Jesus. Now, now, just to look at John's life just very briefly, John was the, was the predecessor of Jesus in, in the sense that he was the one preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah. John was the cousin of Jesus. He was a few months older than Jesus. Um, he preached to people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He kind of was getting people in order. And he preached a tough message. I mean, can you imagine if the sermon every weekend was repent? <laughs> repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming. You know, Jesus is coming. But he was the setup man for Jesus. But later in his life, right as he's about to die, he has some questions. He wants to make sure, hey, I hope I got this right. <laughs> Maybe you've thought that before. You can be a person of great faith and still have doubts. Did you know it? Let's look at Matthew chapter 11 at this great hero, John the Baptist, and let's see how Jesus addressed the doubts of John the Baptist. Because the same way that Jesus addressed John is the same way that Jesus is going to address your doubts. And here's number one. To overcome doubt, we have to clarify our Christ. Clarify your Christ. Look at this, Matthew 11, 2 and 3. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Now this is after he already told everybody to follow Jesus. John has been arrested. He's in prison. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But he sends his disciples. John has some disciples too. And, and he sends him to Jesus and he's like, hey, listen, Jesus, like, did we get this right? Now, why would John have some doubts? One of the reasons that John doubted was because there was confusion about the coming of the Messiah. And many of the Jews thought that the Messiah would be a political military ruler. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and he's, you know, eating dinner with sinners and he's 
you know, talking to prostitutes and he's he's uh, healing people and all this. And they're like, wait a second. We thought that we thought that Jesus was the, the Messiah was going to sit on the throne. And, and and they read the passages in the Old Testament about the glory of the Messiah. And they forgot to read about the suffering servant. And by the way, Jesus is both. Jesus is a suffering servant and he is a victorious, glorious savior. And if at any, any moment we begin to focus on one to the exclusion of the other, we will have an imbalanced view of Jesus. And so sometimes our doubts come from the fact that we're not really sure who Jesus really is. And so to overcome doubt, we need to clarify our Christ. We need to, we need to make sure that we're like looking at the right script. Do we really know who Jesus really is? Do we really know? Uh, a few years ago, I was getting these calls uh, three, four times a day, and they were leaving messages saying it was a robot, you know, robot calls. Do you guys ever get those? This is a message for James Zeller. James Zeller, you have outstanding debts. Immediately push zero to talk to an operator and resolve this issue. And so I just ignored it for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it was driving me crazy. I'd be like having a, a prayer moment. I'd be working on a sermon. I, I would be talking to a church member on the phone. I would be writing them. And all of a sudden, you know, I get these silly calls. And it's over and over and over. So finally, I answered the phone. And I'm like, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And I answered the phone. And the guy said, James, we know where you are. And it's time for you to settle your debts. And I said, I am absolutely not James Zeller. I said, just because my last name is Heller and my last name rhymes with Zeller doesn't mean that I'm James. And the guy proceeded to tell me that I was James Zeller. He was so convincing. I actually started to question myself at the end. I was like, maybe I really am James Zeller. Maybe I really do have these outstanding debts. It was a case of mistaken identity. You know, spiritually, when it comes to Christ, there's a lot of people that got a different Jesus. If we just believe that Jesus is a sage or a teacher, now certainly Jesus taught some amazing things, the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, amazing. Jesus was a teacher. But Jesus was primarily a savior. He was a savior who taught. Jesus was not just a teacher. He said in Luke chapter 19, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. That, that is the mission of Jesus. So to understand Jesus, we have to understand what Jesus is all about. Jesus is not just a mythological character. I talked to one of our kindergartners after her class some time ago, and I said, hey, sweetheart, I said, what's your favorite character or story of the Bible? She said, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And she smiled real big, you know, like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. I thought, man, our kids' ministry is doing a great job, aren't they? They're teaching the Bible. You know, we've got Rapunzel. We've got Peter Pan. We've got Cinderella. We've got Jesus. Jesus is not just a mythological character. He's not the Easter bunny. 
the tooth fairy or Santa Claus. He is the savior of the world. And if we start to get focused on any other version of Jesus, it will cause confusion and doubt. And Jesus' response to these disciples of John is recorded here in verses four through six. He says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you heard and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cured. And the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, listen, remind John that my mission is moving forward. Lives are being changed. Let me tell you how you know that Jesus is in the house is when lives are being impacted, when hearts are being transformed, when, when, when minds, when, when broken marriages, when, when struggles, when adversities, when difficult. Jesus begins to, to, to invade those situations. We, we, we see what a wonderful Savior he really is. And the way that we see God or the way that we see this will affect how we see the world. Because if we see Jesus as a constant judge, we will always fear him. If we see Jesus as a divine scorekeeper, we will hate him. If we see Jesus as Santa Claus, we will never respect him. We have to clarify our Christ. But he moves on and he says there's a second factor. There's a second thing to consider in those moments of doubt. It's not just clarifying your Christ, but it is discovering what the scripture really says. Discovering what the scripture says. And Jesus interestingly answers the questions of John the Baptist with a quote from Isaiah chapter 35 verses 5 through 6. And we find that in uh, Matthew eleven four 4 through 6 that we just read. Go back and report to John what, uh, report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So he answers questions with scripture. One of the greatest ways to find answers to your question is to discover what the Bible says. Now we got 66 books of the Bible. The last time I checked, the Bible is a big book, is it not? I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. And I can tell you, having read a lot of Bible, that, that there's no question that you have that the Bible doesn't have something to say about it. I mean, it is a, it is a book that is full of answers. And Jesus says, remind John what the scripture says. Go back and remember. Now, John knew the Old Testament. He, he grew up in Judaism and he knew what the prophet had said. But sometimes you just need to be reminded. Amen. Like, listen, if you're if you've been a Christian a long time, it may not be that you need to find something new in the Bible. It may just need to be you may just need to be reminded of what you already know that the Bible has to say about that topic. That may be what it is. And so he quotes the prophet Isaiah. And that's the natural thing for all of us to do. I, I would much rather look for those glory passages than the suffering servant passages. But Jesus is all of that. And the Bible 
unveils that to us. Now, if you're struggling with doubt, what you need is not less Bible, but more Bible. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, faith comes by listening to the message of the good news, the good news about Christ. How do we build faith? We build faith with word. The more of God's word that's in your life, the more faith that you will have. So we ought to read the Bible. We ought to study the Bible. We ought to memorize the Bible. We ought to talk about the Bible. And most importantly, we ought to practice the Bible. Because practicing Bible is the highest level of, of, of learning um, that, that we can express is when we actually do what the Bible says. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when I doubt, I ought to look at scripture and ought to fill my mind and my heart with the word of God. God has given us a great, a great, 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 great tool in his word. And bad theology can lead us to doubt. Uh, a lack of knowledge can lead us to doubt. So sometimes we just need to learn. There is a lot of pop theology out there. And, and you know, guys, not everything that's on a Hallmark card and not everything that we hear at the office or everything that we read online about God is true. There's a lot of, you know, just what I might call pop theology. Sometimes people say, well, if it's, if it's difficult, then it's not the will of God. Well, just think about that for a minute. The Apostle Paul was shipwrecked. Was it hard? Jesus was crucified. Was it, was it difficult? <laughs> like just because something is hard doesn't mean that it's not the will of God. Conversely, just because it's easy doesn't mean that it is the will of God. Sometimes we're like, man, everything just fell into place. This was God's will. That may be the case, but it's not God's will just because it was easy. If we just do what is easy, we will miss some of the greatest opportunities of faith that we've, that we've ever known. So we don't judge the will of God, the purpose of God, just based on was it easy or was it hard or Sometimes Christian people love to talk about feelings. You know, it felt right. It, you know, I felt this. That can be the case. There can be some feelings. Um, but feelings alone don't dictate purpose. We can make a lot of bad decisions if we do things only by feeling. Amen? Is that the truth? I mean, some of you wouldn't be here this morning if you just did what you felt, you know, you would have rolled over and gone back to sleep. You're here today because you want God to do something in your heart, and in your life. And sometimes we feel it and sometimes we don't feel it, but we want to be consistent. We want to be faithful. So. So we just got to make sure that what we believe is actually what Scripture says and, and not just maybe what we, what we thought of or maybe what we've always been told or what, what we read somewhere one time. You know, the Bible does say a lot of great things. One thing it always says, it says that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. Now you can bet the farm on that. 
Jesus is the one who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is the one who is remarkably, amazingly consistent. He's the one that is always there when nobody else is there. He advocates for us at the right hand of the Father. Did you know that Jesus is praying for you today in the middle of your doubt? John chapter 17. He's concerned with every need that you have. Matthew chapter 10 says that Jesus even knows the number of hairs on your head. For some of us, that's not very difficult. For others of us, that's quite profound. That's, that's truly amazing. Jesus is the one who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Man, what a wonderful, wonderful Savior. Wow. How do we overcome doubt? Clarify our Christ. Discover what Scripture says. Number three, don't let circumstances distract. Now, John the Baptist was in prison, Matthew eleven two, 2. And he heard about all the things that the Messiah was doing. Why was John questioning he preached all these sermons. He had rallied so many people to hear the gospel message of Jesus. He was a pillar of that, that ancient community of faith. What caused him to all of a sudden doubt? It was because he was thrown in jail. And when you read history and you look at scripture a little more closely, John the Baptist confronted King Herod because King Herod stole his brother's wife. And John confronted him on that. And, and, you know, in ancient times, you didn't really do things like that. You know, you don't want to go tell the king he's immoral for ripping his brother's wife off. And it upset King Herod's stolen wife. And one, one evening, the stepdaughter of Herod, the daughter of his newly stolen wife, did a little dance for Herod. And Herod was so pleased by this dance. This sounds totally redneck, okay? This is redneck. She does this little dance. Herod's impressed. He says, I'll give you whatever you want. She goes and talks to her mom. Hey, mom, what should I ask for? She says, John the Baptist's head on a platter. Now, Herod didn't want to do it because he knew that he was an influential leader and he didn't want to, you know, cause an upheaval in the kingdom. But he gave his word. So he puts John the Baptist in prison and cuts off his head. That's really the story. So John's in prison and he's got some questions. See, maybe you didn't have any questions about Jesus and about God until the bottom fell out. I mean, as long as life was going well, there was money in the bank and the kids were doing well and you were healthy. Yeah. I'm a man of faith. Yes. But now all of a sudden things didn't go like the plan. The unexpected problems came up. Now what do I do? And sometimes the reason that we have questions about God is not so much about God. Sometimes it's just about us. It's about what we're going through. It's about what we're experiencing. And that's why John sends the disciples and he's like, hey, listen, Jesus we just want to make sure we got this right. <laughs> you know? Don't let the circumstances distract you from your faith. Don't let your circumstances distract you. Don't let it happen. 
some of us may feel this way about our Christian life. Some of, some of us may say, since I became a follower of Christ, my life has become more difficult. Or I've got more problems, not less. And God doesn't seem to hear my prayers. Did I make a mistake? I don't know if you've ever thought that before. Sometimes you become a Christian and your life you know, gets easier because your sins are forgiven and you have the power of the Holy Spirit and you have the comfort of God's word. That's true. Sometimes you become a Christian and it gets more difficult because people put you down or other things go on in your life. And, and, and we can't let our circumstances dictate our faith. When that happens, we, we, we fall into a place of confusion. And John the Baptist is in prison and he is asking a lot of questions. Um, Christianity's truth is not based on whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. It's not based on whether I'm single or married or whether I'm broke or wealthy or whether I'm sick or well. That has nothing to do with the truth of, of the resurrection of Christ. So we need to start talking more about what God has done and less about what he hasn't done. Uh, many of the top atheists, if you look at like the history of the world, have had no dads or they've had really troubled relationships with their earthly fathers. Bertrand Russell, Nietzsche, Madeline Mary O'Hara, Sigmund Freud, Karl Marx, and the like. It's interesting, if we have hostilities towards our earthly fathers, sometimes we can, sometimes we can have those same feelings against our heavenly father. But let's don't let circumstances drive our faith. Let's have an objectivity that is not just encapsulated by how we feel or maybe what we've been through. And there is a difference in scripture between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is, I have some questions. Unbelief is a matter of the heart. I want to turn away from God. They're not, they're not the same thing. Um, a few a few years ago, uh, I was over at a fast food restaurant and the, I felt like the lady kind of shorted me on the hash browns. I mean, like I was kind of upset about this. I was kind of hungry. And I said, I said as politely as I could, I put my pastor voice on. I was like, I was like, ma'am, could I please have a few more hash browns? And the lady took another sleeve. She filled it up and she threw them at me at the counter. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I won't say the restaurant. It's right, it's right next to the church over here, but I won't say the name of it. And my first inclination was, I am never going back to that restaurant. That was my first thought. And then I was pulling out of the parking lot, and this soccer mom with a Toyota Sienna was going like five miles an hour, and she pulled right in front of me, and I just slammed on my brakes. And my first thought was, all soccer moms cannot drive. And then it occurred to me, just because one soccer mom in a Toyota Sienna cannot drive, and just because one employee at this restaurant was rude, doesn't mean that all soccer moms or all people who work at this restaurant are incapable or rude or whatever it may be. I can't base, a, I can't base a one experience on a whole group of people. Now, sometimes when it comes to faith, people say, well, 
He was a hypocrite. They, they were a Christian leader. They did this, so the gospel's not true. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard of before. Our eyes are on Jesus, not on people. Not on people. The gospel's about God. It's not about your next door neighbor. Come on now. And we have to have enough maturity to separate fact from fiction. My granddad uh, was a Bible study leader at his church way, way, way back in the day. And one day he was asked by one of the leaders of the church to co-sign on a loan. And my granddad was a very generous guy and he agreed to do it. Sometime later, that Christian leader split town, never paid the note, and my granddad had to cover that money. And he swore he would never go to church ever, ever again. And so he spent the whole second half of his life refusing to go to church. There's two sides to this coin. One is we have to keep our eyes on Jesus, not on people. But the second is we also have to remember that not everybody is mature enough to do that and our actions and what we say and where we go and what we do really does matter because it can tarnish the message of Jesus with people whose eyes are not on the Lord. So, so we have a great responsibility. We have a great, we have a great opportunity to point people to Christ. But, but let's don't let the circumstances distract us. Here's the fourth thing. Check this out. Remember, Jesus is patient. Now, this to me is the most compelling piece of scripture related to this story. Look at this in verse 7. I tell you the truth among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus responds to the doubt of John. And he says... John is an incredible man. He compares him to Elijah. Who's Elijah? Elijah is the baddest dude of the Old Testament. And he says, John is the new Elijah. He says he's the greatest born among women. In other words, he's the greatest man that ever lived. Now, Jesus was born of divine origin. Okay, so that's different. But he's saying, I believe in John. John is amazing. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus loves and encourages the disciples of John the Baptist and he affirms the ministry of John even though John has doubts? And I want you to know today, you may have some doubts. You may not have it all figured out, but Jesus believes in you. Jesus believes that even though we may not have all the answers and we may not have it all figured out, that God can do great things in our lives. And Jesus doesn't criticize John. You would think he would say, tell John to get his act together and quit doubting, you know? <laughs> and I love the Gospels because 
Oftentimes, Jesus says the opposite of what one might expect. This is a great example. He responds by saying, tell John what he's done is right. He's the man. He's prepared the way for the Messiah. He's the greatest born among women. Tell him, encourage him, bless him. Tell him I'm still for him. I still believe in him and everything will be fine. Uh, Moses wanted God to wipe out the Israelites when they rebelled against him. Um, Elijah's threat from Jezebel caused him to go into a deep state of depression and he wanted to die. Paul was burdened beyond measure and even despaired of his life. You're going to go through some things in life, but don't let your circumstances redefine your faith. Don't let it happen. God has a great plan for you and your doubts will work themselves out if you will clarify your Christ Discover what the scripture says. Don't let circumstances ruin your faith. And if you remember that Jesus is always for you. Let's pray together.